Messiah, the sent one, a gift to us to make a way for salvation, that not because we are good or for any good works that we have done, but just because of you, your goodness, you chose to make salvation possible to us. You chose to set out an invitation to everyone. God, today we thank you for that. Lord, we will not be like those, the verse that we heard last week, who will falter, who will fail, who will walk away because we ignore so great a salvation. We thank you. Inspire us. Help us to learn. Instruct us. Lead us today through your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very serious prayer. Now I'm going to be a little bit silly. Sorry, my first week back uh, leading worship, so I've got to get used to this. Um, Today's sermon is going to be entitled, Reply All. You see that on the screen there? Reply All. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. This has become a little bit of a joke. Some of you may uh, work in an office or in the kind of... uh, whatever uh, way you earn a living where email is a constant. Uh, how many of you would maybe fit that category? Email is like a constant daily, like, right? So reply all has become a little bit of a joke. That's why we have the button, like, are you sure you want to reply all? And what that means is like, you get an email, say from the boss or a supervisor or something that's like a company-wide email. And if you hit the reply all button, whatever it is that you say is going to go to everybody. Okay, that's what reply all means. And it's become so much of a joke that we see memes and stuff like this. When did the reply all button turn into unnecessary responses attempting to be funny? (laughs) Celebrate recovery, we call that crosstalk or just interrupting. If you could just stop hitting reply all to every email in your inbox, that'd be great. It's become humor like on a grander scale on the internet because it's become, you know, quite a joke. You know, keep calm, but don't reply all. Let's play a game, reply all. I don't always reply to emails, but when I do, I reply all. We see things like, mm, yeah, if you could stop hitting reply all, that'd be great. What if I told you, you don't need to reply all? <laughs> I can't believe you hit reply all. And I promise to never use reply all again. So today's topic is not that kind of a reply all. Uh, when you reply all, what it means is that whatever it is that you've typed into that email is something that you think is important enough that everybody should know. And the reason that it's become a joke is because not everybody finds whatever is sent to them that's actually important and worth their time. And for many of us, and um, I have a confession to make, I think right now in my inbox I have over 500 unread emails. Uh, in the, for the sake of full disclosure. So if I've offended any of you, I genuinely apologize. No sarcasm. Right? So the, having a clean email, email inbox can be like an insurmountable task, right? Um, so, but when we are talking about today and a reply all, what I'm talking about is what are the things that are of such importance that everybody that you know should know about them? Okay? What kind of reply all? And just kind of keeping with our love gives um, thought, here's how I want to phrase this. Love gives good news with a call to response. Love gives good news with a call to response. 
Let's start by turning to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, which is a phrase Jesus used to refer to himself, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe as they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Now, last Sunday, we read a number of verses uh, from John where Jesus was talking about the relationship with God the Father. And if you listen back to last week's message, which you can on a smartphone streaming on our website, cityharborchurch.com, or through iTunes or other podcast apps, If you listen, especially through the first half of the verses that we read last Sunday, Jesus is talking specifically about the significance of a relationship with God the Father and that it is only possible through the initiation of God and our response by believing that He is the Messiah. Jesus specifically says that is an essential key to you having this kind of relationship with God the Father. We make a great mistake if we ourselves as individuals or in what we express to other people, just, oh, God loves you and it's all good. Absent of a clear explanation of what Jesus being the Messiah means, the significance of it, and what you're relying on it, your confession of faith in it, what, how essential that is in the process. Now we can't, as we grow in maturity, we understand it's not us, right? God does the heavy lifting. We learn a little bit of humility. We learn that God is in control. God is the one that is leading and directing us. God is the one that initiated it with us, right? We can't get it mixed up taking credit for it. Like, yo, I did this. No, 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 no. God's the one who did it. But we receive, we respond. So Jesus is making a very clear statement He is initiating the new covenant. The new covenant. Uh, We are not a dispensational theology church. We are a covenantal 
Theology Church because I believe that's what you get from a simple reading of Scripture. There's a covenant between God and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We call that the Edenic Covenant. There's a covenant between God and Adam. We call that the Adamic Covenant. There's a covenant between God and Noah, the Noahic Covenant, where God makes promises. In every covenant, there's a sacrifice. Every covenant, there's a promise of blessing. In every covenant, there are terms. And in every Every covenant, there is a relationship like a marriage covenant that is a for all that with all that I've got for as long as I live with every breath that I have. That kind of a commitment between God and humans. We see then with the covenant with Moses, as people have gotten more and more rebellious, less and less satisfied with a relationship with God that God had afforded them great freedoms in, then more and more sacrifices come into play where people are sacrificing animals and doing other things as a part of atonement for their sins. We see A covenant that God makes with them in the promised land. We see a covenant that God makes with David. But Jesus comes 400 years after the last prophet spoke of him. Jesus, the one who is revealed in every book of the Bible, and he initiates a new covenant. And this is a huge thing. And if you were just focused on the text and not a relationship with God... If you were distracted by the details, by trying to manipulate outside behaviors, any one of us could have looked at Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, and said, that's heresy, that's wrong. And that's what they did. Said, that's heresy, that's wrong. But Jesus was the sent one, the Messiah, the one that had been promised, the one that had been prophesied of. And when he says, your sins are forgiven, what he is declaring is that there is a new covenant between God and humans where we no longer need to go to a physical temple in Jerusalem, to that temple that was built. Solomon. We no longer need to go to that temple and sacrifice animals under the Mosaic covenant, but instead Jesus himself would be our sacrifice. Come on, somebody say, thank God. Thank God. Right? Let's keep going. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Now, I want to read verses 33 through 53. We're going to read some Bible today. Luke chapter 24, verses 35 through 53. 35, sorry. 35. Chapter 24, verse 35. Now what's happened is Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he rose, came back to life as predicted on the third day. He has appeared to two on the road to Emmaus. And they're coming back to his followers, to the disciples, to tell them about that. Verse 35, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. 
Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Some stuff to pay attention to today, folks. We won't have time to fully unpack. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus takes time to do exegesis, to unpack, to interpret the scriptures where he is revealed. And he said, yes, it is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. For there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Jesus bringing it back to the main thing. Now let's turn to the book of Acts. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Now I want to point out to you that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are both written by Luke. Both written by Dr. Luke. And we get a little bit of an explanation of this at the beginning of chapter 1, then we're going to look at chapter 2. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of the things that are significant about this, but I just want to highlight a few. Dr. Luke has made it crystal clear, and it says at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that he's writing this so that you can be certain of the truth that you have been taught. He says here in the beginning that he has done, he has examined all the eyewitness accounts. He took years to examine this before it was written down so that we would have a historical account. And to this day, we, we in 2017 have more documents that date back to this account than almost any other manuscript in human history stands to the academic standard of reasonable, of human historical account. Now, that said, Jesus is again talking about the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, like we heard about last week. And again, these are helpful as kind of two-parters to put together. When Jesus talks about sending them, it's important for us to understand that the words he chose were specific. They were not just geographic. Here in Jerusalem means you've got work to do here now in this city. He says Judea, what he's referring to is the people, most of the people in this room are Jews. Okay, we've got about uh, um, 120 people or so. And he's saying within your own ethnic group. And then he specifically chooses Samaria, not because it's outside of that area, but because of an ethnic difference. Those people primarily were people that were half of Jewish descent and half of another descent. So he's talking about in this immediate area, 
within your ethnicity, outside of your ethnicity, and then from there to the ends of the earth. Don't ever stop. So then Jesus goes fully geographic, as only he can, right? Not national geographic, fully geographic, right? So Jesus gives them a commission. He gives them something to do. Now, let's look at chapter 2. Everyone doing okay? Chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven. Now, this is the 120 that are referred to in chapter 1 that were following Jesus' instruction to wait for the Holy Spirit before doing what God had told them to do. This 120 people. They were all together, meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, whatever you, however you said, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And all, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about that. This. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke and the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is again. Now, Peter continues, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing one powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and he pre- his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, he quotes Psalm 16. I see that the Lord is always with me, or always before me. I will not be shaken, he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises, my body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Now Peter interprets 
Psalm 16. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future. This is important because Jesus often referred to himself as the son of David, right? We get that reference to him. David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the highest place in hev- uh, honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you have seen and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, and he quotes the psalm, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Peter continues, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Dr. Luke writes, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, What should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to that church, to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, for us, this passage of Scripture is foundational, is essential. Okay? For us as a church, as City Harbor Church in Baltimore, the church that Rebecca and I are from in Portland, and for our network of churches, it's so important that in our network of churches we call our regional gatherings, A2 Conversations for Acts 2. We believe that this is descriptive and prescriptive, which means this tells us what the people did who heard Jesus, saw him with their own eyes, heard him with their own ears, how they responded, and from that we learn how we should respond. Everyone doing all right? So let's take the priority stuff one piece at a time. Salvation. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua, Yamashiach. Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one. The one, the only one. Completely divine. 
completely God, completely human. Abel, the only one tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. It could be the sacrifice for us. I'm thankful for salvation. Check this out. To all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. What we see is that if we will believe and receive, we can become. I think we can quite simply take away from this that by turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus, we are provided an opportunity to be new. It's Jesus, what He said all over the place, He repeated often, repent of your sins and turn to God. God has given every one of us an opportunity to do this. To turn away from trying to make ourselves happy, living based on our own ideas, living based on our own thoughts, living based on our own agenda, but instead to turn to a loving God who has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, made a way for us to be made clean, made a way for us to be made new, to have the hope of heaven, to believe, to receive, to become His children. God has given us that ability, that should be inside each and every one of us every morning like a fireworks show. And then out of a thank you and out of a love response, everywhere we go, we should desire to share that with somebody else. I see that there are some available seats today for some of your family members, neighbors, co-workers, and friends. Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish. God wants, God makes the invitation to everybody. He wants everyone to have this opportunity to receive this gift of new life. To no longer have to live looking in the rearview mirror, but instead to be looking forward. A new hope for you. Now, as Allison described, Jesus himself, we see in Luke chapter 3, was baptized. Jesus believed in water baptism, immersion, like dunking, right? As a sign of a fresh commitment to God and starting new. And here's how I would describe this important step that I think every believer must take. It's a public confession of your faith in Jesus. Immersion in water as a symbol of identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. A sign of death to your old life and a resurrection into your new life. And you see the passages of Scripture that support that on the screen. We also have great study on this in the Purple Book that you can do in 15 minutes and with your friends at 15 minutes to understand that. If you were sprinkled as a child, you still need to be water baptized. Because what we see in water baptism is that you need to know what's going on. It's about you making a decision for you, not your parents, you making a decision between you and God that you are going to follow God with all your life. You're joining in the new covenant, a lifelong decision. I'm going to follow God with all that I've got for all my days, just as Allison described it meant for her. 
And I want you to know, we believe in this and we do this. We have water baptism parties. And listen, all that's required is that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. So if you need to be water baptized, let me know. Let's do this thing. It's simple. It's easy. What are we waiting for? What I have found is that people that wait suffer and struggle. It's important. Something spiritual occurs. Just like it is with communion, with the Lord's table that we saw in Acts chapter 2. So I do believe, like the Lutherans do, that something spiritual occurs when we take the bread, when we take the cup. Because we are spiritual beings and God is spirit. Now, what we also see in Acts chapter 2 and in the stories that continue on is that an immersion in the Holy Spirit occurs. And th- this is an experience, that there is a line of demarcation, that there is a moment that you have where you know, God came on me. God came on me and it was complete Now, we don't always know how to define it when it occurs, and sometimes it takes a while to learn. And what we do see is that of the people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, in the in the Bible, about half of them, it specifically says, and then they spoke in tongues of other tongues, other languages, and about half the time it doesn't say that. So it's anybody that teaches that there's an exact doctrine on that is taking things a little too extreme. If we actually use the Bible and we actually read the Bible for what it says in its plain, simple truth, you have to come away with, I don't know, but I do know that we're supposed to ask for it and we're supposed to be open to it and we're supposed to receive it and that when we do, it's like, whoa! That, I think, is obvious. Okay? And that some will speak in other tongues and that that tongues can be a prayer language. A private prayer language between you and God. And we see in Scripture that it's not supposed to be disruptive in a church service. And we see in Scripture that it can be a gift, that it can give you strength, that it's more of an interaction with the Holy Spirit. And so I would invite you. It's not scary. It's not spooky. It's God who loves you. If you haven't experienced it, ask for it. Anytime you want. If you want me to pray for you, great. But most of the people that I know that received it, received it in private. Some in the middle of the night. Some when they were drunk and high. My pastor in Portland, that's how he received it. Boom! He turned to God and said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm wrong. I'm messed up. I repent. I turn to you. I love you. I need you. I believe in you. And boom! The Holy Spirit fell on him. He was immediately sober, never went back to using drugs, and was immediately speaking in tongues. He was raised by a father who was a Baptist pastor who taught that that was of the devil. He didn't even believe in it. And it happened. Parao, how you like Manao? So sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on us, but here's what I know. The people that have had that kind of experience, they know it and they are stronger and they are better for it. So what are you waiting for? Holy Spirit baptism, spiritual strength and guidance. And last week we talked about it and I emailed you the Bible study we did in our, our life group this week. Jesus goes into great detail about who the Holy Spirit is and what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is always with you. The Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. City Harbor Church. A safe place to find and follow Jesus. What is a church? Well, if we look at the scriptures and even with just what we just read, look at the screen. Check this out. A church is new people. By that I mean believers. Believers. New people following Jesus together. 
Now, here's a few ways that we communicate that. Here's what we do because of what we see in the scripture. We connect by gathering on weekends for worship to receive and respond to his love. That's what they did. They went to the temple. They didn't go into the inner courts. That word actually means the outer courts, which was a public space where people could come together. They came together frequently in a public space to worship together. So by being here, you're doing the right thing. Right? This is what we do. To not... It doesn't make us better, but it helps us, right, to receive and respond to his love. We grow by meeting in small groups for prayer, learning, and sharing faith, sharing life. Well, here's what I believe. You cannot, will not grow as a believer if you're not gathering in large groups and small groups. We can argue, I'll argue with you anytime you want about that. I'll open up the scriptures, I'll let you read it for yourself, but I'm sorry, you will not grow as a believer. You certainly won't grow in humility. You certainly won't, won't grow in, in hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in a way that's accurate, not just spooky, weird, your own emotions playing tricks on you. You want to grow in your walk with God. We've got to gather in large groups and gather in small groups. Different function, different purpose, different activities that occur. It's in the story. That's what they did. We share by living like Jesus and sharing his love every day, everywhere. It's really simple. For all of us, this is about Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about doing stuff to look like Jesus. How does that look? I'm so glad you asked. Here's what we see. We see a church loving Jesus in a way that people talk about. Yeah, we're that one. The weird one, the born-agains. Because it's love. Loving Jesus in a way that people talk about. We see a church where people find salvation and healing in Jesus. Not in us, not in this building, not under our logo, in Jesus. Find salvation and healing in Jesus. We see a church helping people find careers and peaceful homes. We see a church where everyone can find a place that they fit. Everybody. We see a church serving the city with love that works. This is what God needs in Baltimore City. City Harbor Church. A safe place to find and follow Jesus. Now, today, I ask you, is that worth a reply all? You know what the disciples asked, asked the Holy Spirit for the most after Jesus was resurrected and then went back to the Father for boldness to tell others about Him. That was them. Couldn't we ask for the same thing? Do you know somebody who doesn't know this simple truth we just unpacked? Yeah, you do. So do I. What in your life is worth a reply all? I know social media is there, you know, so we can enjoy kitten memes like the one we saw earlier, right? But what is it that you're broadcasting to everybody you know? Jesus told a story about the rich man and Lazarus and about a question. I don't know about you, but when Jesus returns or when I die and go to meet him, I don't, I don't want there to be someone in hell 
asking, Ben, why didn't you tell me about the truth? And I think if Jesus were here today, this would be one of the questions he would ask. It's okay for us, like his disciples, to ask God for boldness to tell somebody else about it. It's okay. And it shouldn't ever be something we do out of guilt. It shouldn't ever be something we do out of pressure. And that's not what you're getting from me today. It never should be in response to that. It should only be out of an overflow, a love response, a thank you to Jesus. That's why the Bible says, how then shall we overcome if we ignore so great a salvation? tired, you're stressed, and you're more focused on your problems than you are on the solutions in Father God, when you're more focused on being afraid of what the person will think if you hit reply all than telling them the truth about Jesus, it means you don't understand how great your salvation is. And today's message shouldn't be just, oh, there goes PB again, one of those little simple messages. But it should be an invitation to you to get into the Word yourself, to have some one-on-one time, to listen to the Father, to speak to the Father, to grow in your understanding of your salvation? What have you been forgiven of? What hell would you be experiencing without Jesus? What heaven can you experience with Him? What does His love for you mean? What does it mean that God loves you without fail? That God's not here trying to use you or manipulate you or get you to pretend like you're something you're not or get you to be a hypocrite or get you to be fake. God's not here for any of that. God loves you. God loves you out of an overflow because of His goodness, not because of anything you've done, not because you came here today, because He loves you because He is good. And that goodness in God should be something that entices you to search it out in the scriptures for yourself, to search it out, to understand it. It should put a spiritual craving in you that then what you don't do is try to tell somebody else the answers, but instead you invite them to learn with you. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we come to you and we need help. We need help. We get shy, we get bashful, we get insecure, we get distracted. Forgive us for when we have done that. Help us to dig into salvation and what it means. Help us to fall in love with you, to say thank you, to love you with all that we've got. And from there, to share the truth of Jesus with others. Help us, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us courage. Help us to understand what we should and to live out of this love response to you. Help us to respond to your call. I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great afternoon.